Good morning. Thank you for being here today. What a delight it is for us, for Cheryl and for me to be with you today. We um, are grateful for your presence. So thankful for our district superintendent, Chris and Jane Ramsey. Let me tell you, you are so well represented in the cabinet and throughout the South Georgia Conference by these two, and they are a delight to be with. I've already, we've together, the two of us already have, have had a great time over these past two months being with Chris and uh, Jane. I like knowing a man who has a truck because I'm going to need a truck at some point. And everybody needs a friend that has a truck. And so I'm happy about that. And Bill, thank you for your hospitality. You welcomed us here recently for district meeting. We'll be coming back again. And thank you for your service to Christ and the privilege we have. And, and Bill, I just love your haircut. I just want you to know. Well, you agree he's one of the most handsome men. Thank you for this choir, for our organist and pianist, for the richness of being together in worship and for giving us the chance to be here with you. We're grateful to be serving in the South Georgia Conference. South Georgia gave me the first church home I ever had. The first 10 years of my life uh, where I lived with my grandparents in Bainbridge, Georgia. And I discovered that even if you go through difficult times growing up, living with your grandparents, being raised by them is a good experience. And when they take you to church, you find you have lots of mamas and daddies. And so you're surrounded by a family that you could have never provided for yourself. And I want to thank George and Sherry. What a tremendous witness. Thank you so very much. It was in the first church that I served that I ran into church members who taught me a spiritual practice called tithing. I was not raised to understand that. But because of a witness like the one that you gave, I wanted to grow toward real tithing in our life together. So, George and Sherry, I want you to know the impact of of your witness and of what you're sharing upon all of us is great indeed. For the past 40 years, we've been serving in the Alabama-West Florida Conference right across the Jordan River called the Chattahoochee, the South Alabama, Northwest Florida. And we've had quite a connection with each other there because I've served under two bishops that you gave us from the South Georgia Conference. One was Bishop Frank Robertson and the other was Bishop Handy Hancock. And we thank you very much for those gifts. My third year... Out of seminary, uh, I ran into a vocational crisis because for the first three years, I was so happy to be out that I just did everything we'd been taught to do and I didn't ask any questions. I had classes in preaching and I preached. Bible study, I led Bible studies. Church administration, I helped administer the church. Meetings, pastoral counseling, marriage preparation, funerals, community involvement, all of that. But after three years, the question formed in my mind, Does any of this make sense in a a larger understanding? What is the golden thread that ties it together? Am I destined for a life of schizophrenia where I sail off in one direction after another, but there's no real connection? Or is there some connection between that early morning prayer time and the person I visit in the hospital? Between my sermon preparation and the order of worship and the person in the nursing home? My house-to-house visitation and the finance committee meeting that evening. Is there some overall purpose being achieved here? And I needed to know that. So it was remarkable that one day I was reading the passage that Bill read. And fortunately for me, 
I wanted Bill to read it in the, new, in the version he read it, the New Revised Standard. Uh, but I, I was not reading it in that version. It's a good thing. Because in the, what he read, I don't know if you noticed, but what he read, Paul is so um, effusive, so filled with some great truth God has given him that Paul just can't stop. In fact, those verses 3 through 10 in Greek are all one sentence, what my high school English teacher would have called a run-on sentence. It just, you, you want to say, Paul, take a breath, man. But when you read it in the New English, New English Bible, one that I rarely use, I happen to be reading it that morning. And this is what it says in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has made known to us his hidden purpose. Well, that's what I needed to know. What is the purpose? What's the golden thread that ties it all together? God has made known to us his hidden purpose to be put into effect when the time was ripe, R-I-P-E, namely that the universe, all in heaven and on earth, might be brought into a unity in Jesus Christ. I was astounded. There was the answer for which I had been looking. There was the golden thread that ties everything together. I now know what God is after. God has a purpose, a single purpose. God is uh, fulfilling that purpose to unite all things in heaven and on earth, and God is doing it in Jesus Christ. I didn't realize it, but my struggles about meaning and purpose had really introduced me to the common human experience about the question of meaning and purpose. Later, I would read about Viktor Frankl. Some of you know of his book, maybe own it, maybe you've read it. Viktor Frankl was in a concentration camp in World War II, and he wrote a book out of that experience called Man's Search for Meaning. How do you find purpose and meaning when you're in a concentration camp as a Jew? And he said that he noticed two kinds of people in the concentration camp. Some who somehow could survive the uh, physical suffering, the mental and emotional suffering, and those who simply came apart at the seams. And the difference is those who had a sense of purpose. And he expressed it this way in that book. A person who has a why for which to live can put up with almost any how. Whatever the circumstances may be, if you have a compelling reason for living, if you have a purpose, that's what I needed to know. I, I, I was doing everything I'd been trained to do, and we were taught how to do it, and I think I was doing it pretty well, but why? Well, I, I was raised by people who had a commanding sense of purpose. Those grandparents of mine in Bainbridge, Georgia, um, had one single purpose in their lives, and some of you here can relate to this. And that was to educate the four grandchildren. And the reason that became their purpose is my grandmother dropped out of school when she was in the eighth grade to work on the farm uh, in the Great Depression and help the family survive. Granddaddy was born in Pennsylvania, 1900, and he dropped out of school when he was 16 to join the army because of World War I. Unlike many of my classmates, I didn't grow up hearing about WW2. I grew up hearing about World War I because that's the one granddaddy was in and in which he was shot and wounded and injured, disabled for the rest of his life. But, but he, never, he never was um, sad about that. He has served his country and well. And because they had dropped out of school, they wanted to give us an education. 
And so from the earliest time as children, all, all I remember is you're going to get an education. You're going to get an education. To have a commanding purpose in life is why she worked as a nurse and saved her money. It's why his disability payments were saved to send the four grandchildren to school. When you have a person that has a why for which to live can put up with almost any how. So I needed to know the why. And there when I read Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, God had given it to me. God has a purpose. God has a why to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus Christ. Notice how that pulls the whole Bible together. Notice how that becomes the the unifying element of the Bible. What is God always doing in the scriptures? Pulling people together. In the brokenness of the world, he pulls together one group of people called Israel, the Jews. And then God says to the Jews, it is too light a thing that you should be my people. I'll give you as a light to the Gentiles, a light to all the nations. And then the light shines in a Jew named Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Pulls people together. Follow me. I'll make you fit. God is always pulling people together, uniting people who otherwise would never have been together. And then what happens when he dies and he rises from the dead? Stay in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. And the church is born. Remember the day of Pentecost? People from all nations, all languages, all backgrounds. God's doing it again, uniting all things in heaven and on earth. Every time I come to this passage, I'm reminded why we are here today, why we worship God, because this is the purpose that keeps us from schizophrenia in life. This is the purpose that takes all the little elements of our lives that we wonder what in the world is going on and pulls it together. God is uniting all things in Jesus Christ. In fact, I go back to this passage again and again and again because it reminds me of something that happened in college. Um, I grew up in Bainbridge, Georgia, my childhood years, my teenage years in Dothan, Alabama. And when I got to New Orleans to go to college, I knew I wasn't in South Alabama anymore. (laughs) Those are great years. I was a biology major working in a cancer research lab. And because of working in that lab, I had a chance to meet Dr. Michael DeBakey. Do you remember that name? DeBakey was one of the first people to do a heart transplant. Heart transplants weren't going on. DeBakey was one of those early pioneers. So I had a chance to to hear a lecture from Dr. Michael DeBakey showing slides of a heart transplant. And uh, it was really interesting because he said, there's one operating room on this side of the hall, another operating room here. And the person uh, in this operating room has died. And his family, even in their grief, said, we want his heart to give somebody else a chance to live. And so we, we donate his heart. And Michael DeBakey said, so I was going to, I removed this heart. And I'm going over here to, to save this family's life, to give them and he, and he showed us his side and he said, here I am in the hallway between the operating rooms. And there in his hand was a basin, a metal basin. And he said, there is a human heart. And he said, I, looked, I, I paused for a moment between operating rooms and I looked into that basin and I said, I thought to myself, who am I to dare to hold a human heart? Who am I who have removed somebody, who am I, who am I to be standing here holding something I did not create, a human heart? And then he said, then then I remembered, I'm a person who's been given an opportunity by this family 
to save the life of this person, and I better get going. Um, when I look at Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, God has made known to us his hidden purpose to unite all things in heaven and on earth. When I look at that, I know I'm looking at God's heart. This is not a light matter for God. Uh, everything in there is about sin and salvation and atonement and reconciliation and sanctification and justification and peace with God. But Paul says it in such a neat way. God has made known to us his hidden purpose to unite all things in Jesus Christ. But then in chapter two, Paul says, for this purpose, God has made us. That's where we come in. For this purpose, God has made us alive together in Christ. If you notice in your bulletin, that's the sermon title. It's taken from Ephesians 2, 5. For this purpose, God is uniting all things. For this purpose of participating in that, God has made us alive together in Jesus Christ. I like things that are alive. How about you? I like the way you were singing those hymns earlier. That was up to tempo. I'm an old broken down snare drummer. I know about rhythm. I like the way you do that. I like when we sing glory to God the Father. When we sing the doxology, we face the cross. That's what Christians traditionally have done to orient our lives in that way. It shows we're alive. We're alive together in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's phrase. For this purpose, God has made us alive together in Jesus Christ. Let's think about what the word is teaching us there. That we now know the purpose for which we exist. That's what I wanted to know. And that what we do is align ourselves with what God is doing, which is uniting people in Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm so happy to be a United Methodist. Because we are, we are a global church. And if God's vision is a global vision, if God is uniting all things in heaven and on earth, I've got to be part of a global church. I've got to be able to look all around the world and see that purpose working itself out. Do you know who I was thinking of as we were singing today, as we were worshiping God? I was thinking of how they're doing that on the continent of Africa, where Methodism is growing more rapidly than any other location in the world. 2.5 million United Methodists were singing glory to God with you today. I thought of Gaspar Domingos in Angola. Gaspar would be leading worship today. But then I thought about Sergei Nikolaev. I've got to be part of a global church. I've got to know this purpose is really working. It's not just a good idea. So I thought about Sergei Nikolaev. And because of your giving and your budget and your apportionments that you pay 100%, Sergei is in Moscow, Russia. You know what you got him doing over there? He's the, Sergei was an atheist. He was born, he was raised an atheist. And through a Methodist missionary that you helped send there, through your giving, he was converted to the Christian faith. And now, Sergei Nikolaev is the president of your Methodist seminary in Moscow, Russia, right next door to Vladimir Putin. Doesn't that just tickle you? I don't know if Vladimir's figured out yet that while he's pontificating all over the world, we're growing Methodist churches in Russia. It's okay with me if he doesn't know that for a while because it's working so well. I don't want anybody to interfere with that. Now, do you know how big Russia is? Huge. Do you know how non-conducive to church Russia is? Huge. So do you know where they get the money to do that? 
you <laughs> as you fill out your pledge card on behalf of Sergey. I just want to thank you. And Gaspar Domingos and, and in, in, in Estonia, I'm thinking of Kalpakant and his wife Taya and how they're leading church in the Baru church in Baru, Estonia. Oh, all over the world. I got to be part of a global church. It's God's purpose working itself out and you're helping it work itself out. But then I've got to be part of a local church where I see things working out in my congregation, where I see God bringing together people who get to know each other like George and Sherry. And by the way, George, you have served a lot of churches. Do you need an appointment in the coming year? We, I, Chris could probably find a place. But you, you, you know a lot about church. We ought to have you teaching some things about it. Um, I got I to gotta be in a local church. I've got to be able to see people coming together that I don't choose, you know, my select friendship group. No, I got to have all kind of people coming together that I meet and they become like family to me. And that's what you do in this church. You are the down payment on God's purpose in this area where people are united in Jesus Christ. One of the great things I want to remind you of is the importance of your work with children. Uh, churches, I think, underestimate how much they shape the lives of children because children don't live up here. Adults live up here. They come up with these great ideas. This is how we think it should be. Children live down here. They pick up on how it feels when they're around you. You may say, I love Jesus. They'll figure out if you really do. Does it feel like an environment of grace and of healing? And, and I know that because I was that child from that difficult background. But my grandparents took me to First Methodist Church of Bainbridge. And what I remember as a child is not anything anybody said. I'm sorry about that. But I remember how it felt. And it felt safe. When the organ played... Thank you for that. When the organ played, it felt strong. And when we faced the cross, the order of worship felt like order in an otherwise disordered life. So I just want you to know that when you're just being church, not even conscious of it, God is using you to unite all things in heaven and on earth. And you do it through the order of worship through the coming together, the unity that is seen in saying the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the Universal Church. I do believe in that. We're part of it all over the world. It's true for youth. It's also true for grown-ups. Don't, don't, don't forget the grown-ups and your role in how God's purpose reaches out through you. Mike and Cammie Quinn taught me so much about that. Mike and Cammie are members of... Um, Trinity United Methodist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And the reason I know them is because they were sitting in church one day and a person came for the first time and sat all by herself on a pew. We've been praying for her for long, long, long years. Knew her well because she's Cheryl's sister, Molly. And Molly had, had been away from the Christian faith and away from church, but we didn't know. But on that day, because of how the Holy Spirit works, when you keep praying, uh, the, the situation was right. And she went to church and she went to a church. I would never have thought she would ever have gone to just the, the milieu of that church. I wouldn't have thought she would have ever been comfortable there. And while she was at that church, you know what? Mike and Cammie were sitting behind her. You know what? They had the audacity to do. This takes real courage. 
Do you know what Mike and Cammy Quinn did to her? They spoke to her. Which is what doesn't happen in our world today. We are so adept at building fences, talking ourselves out of letting the love of Christ reach out through us. But Mike and Cammy spoke. And for Molly, that's all it took. Somebody who acknowledges you're alive, your presence, you're here. God reached out through them. They said, by the way, after this, we'd love it if you came to Sunday school with us. She did. She called us that afternoon and said, went to church today. That was an answer to the prayer. We didn't even know that she said, I went to Sunday school. That was miraculous. We hadn't even been praying for Sunday school. <laughs> We'd be happy with church. We wouldn't even have that on our list. Next thing I know, a few weeks later, she calls me. I'm joining United Methodist Women. I said, Molly, you don't even know what United Methodist Women is. But once God's purpose gets you, it works in a beautiful way. Then the next thing I know, she said, I, I, there's this thing called Disciple Bible Study. I think I'm going to join and sign up. Would you, would you work? Would you help me buy a study Bible? I said, buy one. I'll give you one. And then after she was in Disciple, she said, by the way, because of studying Disciple, I've, I've learned about tithing. Would you help me look over my paycheck and look over my finances? I want to be sure I'm really tithing. All of that was holy moment brought to us by Mike and Cammie Quinn and God's purpose to unite all things reached out through them as God wants to do through each of us. Mike and Cammie are here today. They may go by different names. They may be in different situations. The people that they're going to be talking to may not be here, may be at home, may be in the community. But that's how God's purpose reaches out. Some years later, Molly was diagnosed with a malignant brain a tumor. Um, Cheryl brought her to live with us in Montgomery and um, several surgeries and extended her life quite a bit. And Cheryl gave her a great quality of life. It was really beautiful to see that. Uh, at, the, at the time of her death, her church family was all around her in Birmingham and in Montgomery. God's purpose was working itself out. There was a sense of eternal life in Jesus Christ. But right before she died, she said to Danny, who had come from Birmingham to be with us, her work colleague, she said, Danny, I know you don't go to church, but I'm going to ask you to promise me this. I want you to go to church. God's purpose that touched her life. Mike and Cammie touched Molly. God's purpose worked in her life. And now through her, God's purpose reached Danny. I didn't know after, her, after the funeral if Danny would go to church. Sometimes people say they'll do things that they don't do. But he did. And he stayed in touch with us. And the day came when he said, not only am I going to Asbury United Methodist Church in Birmingham, but I am going to join Asbury United Methodist Church in Birmingham. And now he's with us almost every Christmas and Easter. And we talk about Molly and we celebrate God's purpose. That's why we're the church. For this purpose, God has made us alive together in Christ so that each one of us can do as Mike and Cammie Quinn have done. Share that purpose with others. There's a great poet from Georgia. Um, I remember, I think it was in fourth grade, I studied Georgia history. I hope they still teach about Sidney Lanier. Is that a name you're familiar with? Sidney Lanier. You know, we have a Sidney Lanier High School in Montgomery. How did you all do that? <laughs> do you know why it's Sidney Lanier in Montgomery? Because Sidney Lanier, while he was born in Macon and while he's a poet of Georgia, he actually was a hotel clerk for a period of time in uh, Montgomery and played organ at First Presbyterian north of Montgomery in Prattville. 
So they named the high school after him. Now, I grew up in Dothan. Uh, our, our mascot is the tiger, the Dothan High Tigers. You know what? We'd go to Montgomery to play Sidney Lanier. You know what they're called? The poets. I don't know. It just always seems strange to me. I'm, I'm used to bears playing tigers and lions and, and eagles. And, but to go play a team called the poets. I mean, does that seem a little different to you? Um, and in the band uniform, I played drums in the band. So the band uniform had a quill pin on it. That'll strike fear in your heart, won't it? And we had a big, we had a tiger on our uniform. And, but we usually came home having lost because we found out that quill pin has a sharp point <laughs> on the end of it. You remember Sidney Lanier's story that... Um, prison camp during the Civil War, contracted tuberculosis, and after the war came back into Georgia, and tuberculosis is wearing out his body, and so his family decides if we could take him to Brunswick, Georgia, the sea breezes would be good for him. So they put him in a chair and prop his weakened body up against a tree, and he looks out over the marshes of Glen County, Georgia, and he sees something nobody else had seen, and he says it in a way nobody else had said it. He saw God's purpose working itself out. And he wrote those beautiful lines in the marshes of Glen. Sidney Lanier wrote, as the marsh hen secretly builds in the watery sod, I will build me a nest in the greatness of God. I don't know where any of our nests may be today, but I know the safest place to be is to build our nest in the greatness of God's purpose. I know that pulls all of life together and sends us forward knowing for this purpose we've been made alive together in Christ. That's reason enough for me to want to raise a budget and to have a capital campaign and to invite others to church because they're not going to find it anywhere else. As the marsh hen secretly builds in the watery side, I invite all 617 churches in the South Georgia Conference, let us build our nest in the greatness of God. Let us pray. Merciful God, we are swamped by competing causes and purposes, voices around us shouting for our attention, and sometimes even voices on the inside of us shouting one direction after another. We thank you for your great purpose revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that for this purpose, we've been made alive together in Christ. And we pray, O oh Lord, fulfill your purpose in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.